in an old television show, an old version of uh, Magnum P.I. It was a favorite back in the 80s, I guess. There was an episode in which character held a gun on another man from behind, and he asked the question, did you see the sunrise this morning? Now, that was just before he shot him, so I'm not advocating that by any means. But I don't know about you, but I was looking out this morning in the little eating area off our kitchen and the kitchen window faced to the east. And while sitting there this morning and while diligently washing my dish, I couldn't help but notice, and maybe you did too, it was beautiful. The sky was being enlightened as the sun was beginning to rise and the clouds were glowing with that, that reddish-orange glow about it just shortly before the sun comes up. And maybe it is a harbinger of something to come. You know, I talk about red sky at morning. But the, thing, the thought that crossed my mind was the beauty of the artist's hand. There is no photograph. There is no artist rendering. There is no depiction of any kind that can compare with that artist's hand. It's something, if you didn't see that, I hope you see others along the way. I want to talk to you this morning under the subject of baptized into Christ. Not just under the subject, but I want to talk about the subject, baptized into Christ. might seem like the ordinary, the trite, the basic. You know, the writer of the book of Hebrews reminds us that we need to move on and grow in our understanding, but sometimes we need to be reminded of some things that are very, very important. And we're going to be looking at that passage in Galatians chapter 3 in just a few moments. But I was thinking about the great old story in 1 Kings 18 of Elijah and those prophets as they did their duel on Mount Carmel. And we recognize the fire that's sent from heaven and all of that. And maybe we've told the story many times. And if you haven't gone back and read that story recently, it's a good one to read in 1 Kings 18. Go read the story. It's an exciting story. It's a kind of a fun story in a way. But the thing that is at the highlight of the story, not only the fire from heaven that, that laps up the, the altar, the water, the sacrifice, and everything else, and proving that God is God, is the question that's there. And the heart of the whole matter is a question that is there. Who are people going to serve? For in, if you will, accept my own paraphrase, my own paraphrase of the, what Elijah said. I started to say what Moses said, what Elijah said. I think those are two different guys. What Elijah said on that occasion was, you people have got to decide who will be your God and get with serving him and him only. That's pretty much what Elijah said. Of course, the outcome of those things showed who God truly was. I wish I'd had a good photograph. That's not really Elijah's photograph there. But they needed to know who they were serving. They needed to know that. I also thought about an old movie. An old movie. It was entitled, and maybe some of you recognize the old movie, A Southern Yankee. It was a a movie about the Civil War in which Red Skelton plays a Civil War soldier who finds himself serving in both armies of the conflict. I won't say it's a great movie, but as a kid, I thought it was funny. I did. At one point, by a stroke of luck, old Red finds that he has to make his way between the northern and southern forces 
And he has to go down right between those forces, and he has to figure out, how in the world am I going to get through this business? He realized that he must select a side, really, but he knows that the moment he does, he's going to be shot by the other side. And so he comes up with a compromise. He sews two uniforms and two flags together so that on one side, the Southerners would see the Southern uniform and the Northerners would see the Northern uniform and the flags in that order as well. What he didn't count on was the wind. And as he rides down between them, at first there's cheering from both sides to see this soldier riding through, but then the wind shifts, the flag goes around in the other direction, and pretty soon the northerners are seeing the southern flag, and the southerners are seeing the northern flag, and before long, old Red is being shot at. Well, that's just kind of the way it is. That's a silly old movie, I understand. But it kind of reminds you in a way of where my mind goes, you know, maybe that's enough of that. But it reminds us that trying trying to walk the middle without the clarity can be like standing in the middle of the road. You may well end up being hit from both directions when there's not the clarity of which direction you're going. There definitely comes a time and a need to be about who you are and what you believe and make it clear. With that in mind, I want to share with you. I want to share with you something that deserves clarity of address, if not just now, at other times as well. I want you to understand with clarity of understanding, at least the best I can give it to you this morning. It is basic, and sometimes we take that understanding for granted. Sometimes we, we just address it and leave it behind, and that's as far as we go. But I think even so, we cannot go without a real clarity of address in the subject at hand. For you consider the teaching of what Paul shares with us in Galatians 3, as well as many other passages, and we'll mention a few. He says simply, we are baptized into Christ. For you, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were, underscore this, were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now the latter end of that may leave someone, what are you talking about? Heirs of the promise, the seed, and so forth in that. But capture the important thing within it. You are all baptized into Christ. Where does he go with this? What does he lay out before us? He says that we are sons of God. Basically, we are children of God. He was writing to people who were Christians. He was writing to the churches, the various congregations of Christ's church that were in the area of Galatia at that time. It was a specific audience. It wasn't just intended as a a broad spectrum of just anybody who happened to read it. There was an understanding when he says, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. They understood. He was writing to Christians. He was writing to people just like many of us sitting here this morning. 
And if you read back in the context, you go back through the previous chapters that he shares with us in this, you recognize that he had some corrections, some understanding that he wanted them to grasp. He wanted them to know on this occasion. He knew that they had been affected, that they had been seduced by some who had come along with teachings that were foreign to what he had shared with them early on in ministry in days past. They had listened to other appeals. But he says, you know, if you listen to some other gospel, which is not really another gospel, another good news, he says, you're mistaken. Don't give heed to that with stronger words than that. He plainly states that there is not another gospel, that it is plain, that it is simple, it is straightforward in that regard. What they are beginning to hear from others is a perversion. That means a distortion, a distortion of the truth. It was important to him, and it was important for their sake that they understand some very basic matters in these things. And I've got to believe that that is true today. If you listen to a lot of things that are being said, you don't hear this. You don't hear the clarity of sound. You don't hear the clarity of opportunity. You don't hear the plainness of it. And it may be simple, and it may sometimes seem overly simplistic, but it is still true today. But if you tie into what he is saying, you are sons of God or you are children of God through Christ Jesus. He says it is a relationship that we have with God. It's not just, it is not just an, an identification card that you've got. It's not something you put in your pocket and pull out when the police pull you over next to the road and say, do you have any identification with you? It is not a credit card that you pull out of your wallet again when you go to the store and you just need it to buy something along the way. He's talking about a relationship that exists. It doesn't need a card. It doesn't need something that you pull out of your pocket. It doesn't need anything to understand because it's understood in your lives. It begins in the heart of the life. It begins in the dedication of the mind. It begins in the understanding of who and whose we are. You know, as a child, when you're growing up, you don't have to pull out a card to explain that you are your children's child, your parent's child, your children's child. How did that come out? You are a child of your parents. Did I get that right that time? You are a child of your parents. People say, what's your name? I'll say, my name is, and you give them your name. Oh, I know your parents. Yes, you do. You know my parents, very good. It is about relationship that identifies who you are. It is not a credit card. It is not an identification card. It's not something so that you can just drive down the street. It's not something so that you can walk into the building and say, okay, I can take a communion now. That's not it. That's not it. Some of those things may be a part of what we are, but it is family. And family is not just a segment of our lives. It is the whole of our lives. It is what we are born to. It is what we are part of. It is part what it is what we share. That wasn't good grammar, but it made sense, didn't it? We understand what it is when we are part of family in the whole of our lives. So I want you to take note. Take note that the ability to be the children of God, the ability to be the sons of God, and the blessings that are there that even John writes about much later. The ability to be there as the children of God is tied to our faith, which he talks about here, that brings us to be baptized into Christ. Notice what he says. Notice what he says very plainly. Those who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
is not just an act that you do to fulfill some requirement. It is the taking on of a life. This is why Paul would write to the church in Philippi, and he would say to them, for me to live is Christ. It's very simple in that regard, and it's understandable. But there is a progression here that is not to be missed as we look at it. We need to see it, and we need to understand it clearly, and we need not let somebody else take it away from us. Because I believe that baptism is sometimes underrated and often misapplied. If you listen to the words or read the words that Mark records of some of Jesus' latter statements, you know in that great commission statement as he says, you go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Notice what he says. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. It's a pretty straightforward statement. You've heard it. You've read it. It's one of those old Church of Christ statements somebody would say. Well, I don't care who you assign it to. It's a very real statement. It is faith that produces baptism and the results. Look at the text that we're reading this morning. Listen carefully to the words he says. You become sons of God. You become family of God. Paul tried to identify that to the church in Rome when he talked about a relationship to the Father and a relationship with the Son whereby we can cry, My Father, Abba, Father. And that we have a relationship with Jesus who is our co-heir. We are heirs with him of God's blessings, he says. We are inheritors of those things. That's what a part of being family is. But it is also, as I already stated, it is an identity. It gives you an identity. You are the sons of who? You are the sons of who? You are the sons of God. It is an identity that you belong to. It is something that is ours. You expect your children to carry the identity that you have. Some of them we can't deny because you look at them and say, why, you look just like your dad. You look just like your mom. You know, I used to think that I must have been adopted from outside the family because I thought, man, I'm a lot taller than anybody else in my family. I really don't look like them at all until one day I got old and I looked in the mirror and my dad was looking back at me. Then suddenly you realize, yeah, I am marked a little bit. Or the kids when they sometimes say, well, you sound just like Papa when you talk like that. Okay. We mark them, don't we? We expect it. It's an identity. We know who and whose we are. Moses wanted to know, who am I going to tell him? Send me. He says, I am that I am. You tell him. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You tell them. It is an identity that we have. But go further in that. In our relationship with one another, there is an equality that we have. Neither male nor female. They're neither slave nor free. You see, when we come into this, we lose some sense of that idea. We stop being a woman or we stop being a man. No, that's not his point. But we stand equal in the eyes of God. We stand open in the eyes of God. We stand as people before the eyes of God. We stand as the saved in the eyes of God and should be in the eyes of one another as well. And we are inheritors of the promise. Promise that goes back early on, but especially brought out to Abraham. And that's the promise I believe he is talking about there. That in him all nations of the earth would be blessed. And so we are. And we have that promise, the promise that was even identified earlier in the service of life and hope and eternity in him. 
You see, those who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, and it is stated here to confirm the message of the true gospel, the gospel message. When the gospel is there, it teaches this very thing. It is addressed in chapter 1 as the gospel, and here he identifies we are baptized into Christ. And my friends, it is plain. It is plain to be in fellowship with Christ. Listen to this now. To be in fellowship with Christ and to be a part of his body the church, baptism is an essential necessity, no doubt about it. So let me offer to you, let me offer to you a few thoughts in this. I could stop right there and say, that's it. You understand it? Baptism is all about something. It's all about, let me give you five. I'd give you 10, but I don't have time for 10. I'm going to give you five. I'm going to give you five important ones this morning. Five, and there's all five fingers up there. I didn't just put four, put five up there. There are five of them I want to give you. Five things I want you to think of. Baptism is all about, as we've already said, it's about faith. It is faith applied. It's not something separate from faith. You don't go get faith and then you go get baptism. Faith is baptism. Baptism is faith. Faith is not something that's separate from things that we do. It is what we do. It is faith applied. Listen to Acts 8. When when Philip, Philip comes to that Ethiopian, and that Ethiopian is reading from the Old Testament scriptures, Old Testament prophet, and he doesn't understand what he's reading. It says, Philip got up in the chariot with him. Philip began to read at that very passage, Isaiah 53 as we know it. And he began, it says, he began at that passage, and he preached to him Jesus. Go a little further in the reading. This is in the mid-30s, uh, uh, 35, 36, 37, 38 in Acts chapter 8. And the Ethiopian, when he had preached to him, Jesus, the Ethiopian looked at Philip. Obviously, Philip had said something. He says, well, here's some water. What hinders me from being baptized? Listen to the words of Philip. If you believe with all your heart, you may. You see, faith And baptism are inseparable. Baptism is all about faith. Baptism is also all about dying to the old and living to the new. It's not just a mark that you put on on the chart somewhere. It's not something, I got that done. Okay, you got it out of the way. Let's move on. No, it's about the changing of your life. Dying to the old and living to the new. It is about putting aside something that has been and putting on something there. As clearly as Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5 put off his leprosy and began a clean, pure physical existence. Once he was dipped in that river that seventh time and he came up clean as a baby, he understood the old and he understood the new. We take it into the spiritual realm when we understand putting off the old, dying to the old, then we might be born again to the new. We are buried with him by baptism into death, Paul writes in Romans 6. Do you not know that so many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He goes on to say that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk, live in newness of life. Dying to the old and living to the new. Baptism is all about dying to the old. It's putting off what has been to put on what is and can be. Thirdly, Baptism is all about being a part of Christ and his body. You become, a, you enter into, you become a part of a relationship. You enter into a relationship is what I'm trying to say. We become a part of something that exists. We share something there. We're not, we're not foreign to this. We don't have separate people. Everybody in this room 
that is in Christ is your family. Your brothers and your sisters, they're your family. They're not just people that sit on the other side of a building. The same is true of others in other places who share with us this common thing. He's writing to churches that meet in various places, and he says, basically, we're all family in his body. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, for by one spirit, by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Throughout the book of Galatians, especially the book of Ephesians, the emphasis on the unity that is a part of the body that is Christ. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We are a part of oneness in Christ Jesus. Fourthly, baptism is all about the removal or the remission of sins. Did you ever think of how valuable just that one thing is? Baptism is where sins are removed. Quite a number of years ago, a noted football player went to a certain place and he was baptized. He looked back into the water. He says, that water sure is dirty now. He had at least one understanding that baptism took away the filth. It took away the sin. Baptism is about the removal or the remission of sins. One of the first teachings that we have in regard to the New Testament church and becoming a part of that body about obeying Christ, dying to the old and living to the new is what Peter had to say in Acts 2.38. It's not a verse to shy from. It's not a verse to avert. It is a verse to understand. It's a verse to apply. When they asked him, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter responded to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized. And that means immersed in the name of Christ Jesus for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. First thing, what does he say? Repent and let every one of you, every one of you, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, under the authority of Jesus Christ, into Christ Jesus, as he states very plainly here in Galatians. It is about the removal or the remitting of sins. It's about getting rid of them. We might wonder why in the world or how in the world does dipping somebody in water get rid of sins? Much in the same way that dirt is washed from the body, Baptism in the act of faith in doing so removes the sins from us by the blood of Christ Jesus. It's the point at which we are united with him in his death that brings about the remitting of sins. It's the point at which we, in faith, have committed ourselves to him. It's the point at which we lay aside the old and begin the new, buried with him by baptism into death. Then we are raised to newness of life. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You can take that word for and you can use it any way you want. It still means the same thing. The baptism tied into the remitting of one's sins. Then let me give you one more. Baptism is all about being saved. That may seem like a selfish thing in a way. Baptism was not intended to be a selfish thing, and yet it is about self. It's about you understanding there is a need in your life. It's about you understanding the importance of what God calls on you to do. It is about you being what God challenges you to be. It is about turning your life over to God. It is important that we understand the concept that is there. Peter would write about it late in his life, and he would say, there is also an antitype to the flood, where he was talking about Noah and the flood and only eight people being saved. That's what he's talking about. There was an antitype which now saves us, baptism. 
It's not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience. That's about faith. The answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is about life. It is not only about the death and the removal of sins. It is about life. It is about being born again, as the phrase is so often abused and used wrongly, but it's still about being born again, being saved. You are born again to God through Christ Jesus. Jesus said, except a man be born again, as he talked to Nicodemus, as recorded in John chapter 3, except a man be born again of the water and the Spirit. Where is he? He cannot enter the kingdom of God. It is about being saved. Yes, it is all these things and several things more. Baptism is a valued and a great important tool. It is an understanding of what God calls on us to be and calls on us to do. It is simple. It is straightforward. There is nothing plainer in the scriptures than that baptism is a part of faith and understanding and doing what God has challenged us to do and be. If nothing more, if nothing more than we saw the command to be baptized into Christ, it would be enough. But we can recognize there are so many benefits and more than we've identified this morning that are tied into this very simple, this simple procedure. It's a shame that it is sometimes abused, overlooked, or even just neglected in our faith. It's not something to shy from. It's not something to hesitate. It is an understanding we need to do. But let me add one thing. Let me add one thing. It's not just any baptism will do. The idea of baptism has been used in many respects to people. We need to understand the word simply means immersion. Now, many of the dictionaries that you read today say it once meant that, and it goes on to mean this other today. You can say what you want that it's come to mean, but when they were talking about it, what were they talking about? Well, dipping somebody in water, though, at the same time, is not itself any kind of remedy, but... When it is tied to faith, when it is dependent on the sacrifice of Jesus, when it is imbued with the determination to turn a life to God's guidance, it is overwhelming in the change and the importance that it brings into our lives and the power that it lays upon us. Simply put, it is about doing it right. We have it laid out before us. We have the examples, and it's simply there. It's not about dipping babies or sprinkling babies. It is about doing it right, right in heart, right in mind, right in faith, even right in physical strength or form. It is about doing what God calls on us to do and receiving the benefits that come from the doing of this very thing. We may not always understand everything that went into it, but if we understand that God calls on us to do it and he blesses us in it, that ought to be enough. That ought to be enough. So there's only one thing that remains. There's only one thing that remains to those who know these things but have not submitted to the call of God. Whether here or any place else, if you're not... submitted to the call of God and repented faith and, be bapti- and been baptized into Christ Jesus. Why not? Why not now? We're going to sing a song of invitation this morning. Consider very carefully those things. Maybe there are other needs you have this morning. If there's something on your heart and mind and you need to come forward, let us share it together. If we need to study more, let us study more. If we need to encourage more, let us encourage more. If we need to be a help, let us be a help. But if someone needs to respond this morning, please, once you do so, while we stand and sing together.